0: Welcome to What is Black, a podcast centering the stories of Black people and culture to help raise affirmed, empowered, healthy, and thriving Black children and teens. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of What is Black podcast. I am so excited again to be joined on this episode by Dr. Jasmine Zapata, who is the Chief Medical Officer and State Epidemiologist for Community community Health at the Wisconsin Department of Health Services. So she's all, she's everything. And she's joining us to discuss COVID-19 um, racial and health disparities as they relate to the virus and how the virus um, has put a spotlight on how um, how these disparities have, have developed, but also, you know, where we are now. So I'm so happy to welcome Dr. Zapata. Welcome to the show today. Thank you
1: so much for having me, and thank you for hosting this platform. You're doing some amazing
0: things. Early this year, I had um, two other fellow pediatricians, colleagues of ours who are in public health. Dr. Lauren Smith, um, the Chief Health Equity and Strategic Off- Strategy Officer of the CDC Foundation, and Dr. Leticia DeRaza, um, who's the Commissioner of Health for the Baltimore City Health Department, talk to us about COVID-19. And I'm happy to, that we can continue the conversation, given all the updates. And, you know, it's been it's been a it's been an interesting two years, right, mm-hmm. since COVID, COVID first started. So first and foremost, I wanted to wanted to find out how you're doing and how is the family doing?
1: Oh, thanks for asking that question. And that's so important because especially as frontline healthcare workers and public health leaders, it can definitely be exhausting. So my family and I, me and my family are definitely doing well. It's been a long, rough year, but we're doing well. We had COVID actually the month before the vaccines ever came out. So um, about a year ago, and that was definitely very, very hard. And it really... um, Really made me have an increased passion for really getting out there and, uh, educating, having conversations about COVID. I, I was able to donate, um, convalescent plasma and it really, it really Increase my determination for fighting this pandemic in every way possible. I'm blessed that I am alive. There's so many people who are not able that who don't survive. So I really took it as a blessing that I even had the opportunity to still be here today to talk about it. And um, other than that, that was pretty scary. Um, But we're doing doing very well. And we are working on practicing radical and intentional self care. So I'm doing a ton of self care activities that bring me joy and my family, and and that's where I'm at now. Just happy to be here and hopeful.
0: Oh, awesome! And I think that's so important. And it makes it relatable, right? Because not only are you a physician and a public health um, public health official, right? You're also a mom, right? And all the things that and frontline healthcare work, right? All those things that um, really come together. For you to do what you're doing, so I was wondering if you could share a little bit more about your role and how you work to improve um health of communities and families.
1: Yes, yes. So in my role as a newborn nursery doctor at our at the hospital, I get the opportunity to run to a slightly high risk deliveries. Um, We do resuscitation for babies, um, we do procedures, and then I get to round with new parents telling them and talking with them about how to take care of their new baby, and if the baby has any health conditions, we help address those, and um, if needed, help to facilitate the transfer to the NICU. Well, there is a lot of education, a COVID-19 education that goes on, because many of the families, of course, are already very cautious about bringing their little babies home, but they're asking about, how can we say something? How can we stay safe? Many of them are facing different um, economic challenges as a result of the pandemic, emotional challenges as a result of the pandemic. And so there's a lot of work that goes on in the newborn nursery because even in the midst of a pandemic, even if uh, other surgeries or clinics were canceled, you can't stop babies being born. So <laughs> that's been uh, one way that I'm able to to work in this area. Also, um, I do a lot of health education and talking about um, social determinants of health with our medical students at our UW School of Medicine and Public Health. Um, one of the classes that I am one of the co-instructors for is a class about communicating public health information to to the media and to legislators. So I love going and talking with the future medicine and public health leaders about that because now more than ever, one of the biggest threats as we are fighting this pandemic, is misinformation. So we are training up an amazing army of public health leaders, medicine and public health leaders, who are going to be able to write letters to the editor, do social media campaigns, and talk with their legislators. And so that's something I'm very excited about, just working with uh, future um, medical stu- or working with medical students and, and um, masters in public health students. And then in my role as Chief Medical Officer for Community Health at the Wisconsin Department of Health Services, I serve in a variety of roles, but one of them is uh, I am co-chair of the Maternal Mortality Review Team, and we review all of the deaths of pregnant people who died during pregnancy or within a year of pregnancy. And in that role is so important because we are able to look at autopsy ra- records, hospital records able to look at um, police records to really look and see how could this death have been prevented? Was it preventable? And and then we use those recommendations to try to save future lives. And now, especially w- now that we are in a COVID-19 pandemic, we are starting to review the deaths that started in uh, 2020 related to the pandemic. And so as we know, when you are pregnant, You're even more susceptible to complications from infections. And so that is a really awesome role to be in, to figure out ways that we can prevent future deaths, address social determinants of health. But now on top of that, we're starting to look at the COVID related deaths, pregnancy deaths. And I get to play a role in that, which I really love. And I'm doing a ton of community conversations and outreach um, uh, helping to spread the word about um, vac- now that children are able to be um, vaccinated five to a, five to 11 going out to talk to schools and with teachers and um, that has been really amazing. And then um, finally, I am the co-chair of our governor's Health Equity Council Subcommittee on power access and representation. and in that role, we are working on ways, to achieve health equity by the year 2030. We're submitting a list of recommendations um, for the governor to consider adopting that will help achieve health equity. And that the subcommittee on power access and representation is just so important because we need to have represented, represented in medicine, in government, in schools, in every single area, people who are the most impacted. We talk about health equity all the time, but the people whose voices should be the loudest and should be listened to the most are those most impacted. But I'll stop there. I do a lot. I do a lot. But those are just some of the things that I've been doing in the midst of the pandemic.
0: So you're doing, I mean, you're doing great work because I think, you know, and I think what I love about this platform is I get to interview, you know, friends and colleagues, right, who are Black doctors, yes. um, leaders leaders in their field, right? And Hopefully, right, when people, when people say that, oh, I don't see, I don't see someone reflecting me, that representation, right? I mean, there's, there can be definitely there, we need to increase the pipeline, right? Of, um, women of color. Yes. Um, entering the medical field, but we're here, right? And we're doing the mentoring and we're representing. So I love that. And I love the fact that, you know, your health equity work, right? Um The intent of not just being in DEI work, diversity, equity, and inclusion, right, is power access, and I forget the last part. And
1: representation.
0: And representation, right? So to me, that like, really reframes everything, right? And um, it takes it out of just just having, you know, oh, do we have a black person, a Hispanic person, and a woman, right? It's be, it goes beyond that, which is which I think is wonderful.
1: Shifting power is so important. Um, instead, uh, instead of just having large institutions or certain um, bodies holding uh, economic power or even political power, we need to find ways where we can shift. Rather than just giving handouts, how can we shift that power into our communities? And that's something that
0: I'm very interested in, and is is uh, so important to me. Awesome, awesome. All right, so. We're going to start talking a little bit about COVID. So I wanted to to talk a little bit more about how you and your the work that you're doing and working with the health department, how you all are addressing COVID-19, um, the racial health disparities that are occurring as a result of COVID-19.
1: Yes, that is a great question. So one of the biggest things that we're working on here at the Department of Health Services um, is... Focusing on having community conversations, but also when we're talking about having people feel comfortable with getting the vaccine, is partnering with trusted messengers. Again, partnering with trusted messengers. It's not enough just to come in, you know, come in in my white coat and say, because I'm a doctor, this is what I'm telling you. Or because we are a a state authority, we're telling you to do this. That doesn't work for everybody. Um, In order to trust someone, you have to know that they are reliable, that they've been there in the past and they're going to be there in the future. You need to know they're reliable. You need to know that they're credible And know what they're talking about. And but but you also have to feel safe with them emotionally having these conversations. So it's not enough to just have credibility and authority. You also have to be reliable and have those deeper connections that that um, people really feel safe and comfortable talking with you, so some of the best ways that we have been working very diligently on is partnering with trusted messengers and to get the word out about the vaccine uh just general covid prevention um, information out on how to take care of your more emotional and mental well being um Combating some of the various economic hardships related to the pandemic, so one thing we did I was very, so very proud of at uh, Wisconsin Department of Health Services is we had a vaccine equity and community outreach grant program very early in the pandemic and still they uh, still ongoing and it was six about $6.2 million that was given directly to community groups and organizations to partner. So that was a way to partner with trusted messengers to be able to hold community vaccine clinics, community education, and um, providing resources to families who need it most. So that's one thing. uh, That's just one example, partnering, partnering with trusted messengers. And a lot of collaboration has been what we have been working on. I've been loving going to churches, parades, Schools, I've been all over the place, uh, a couple places in person and virtually having conversations. And that's what we're, we're all about here at DHS. So would,
0: would you, would you say then, I mean, I know like COVID has been like, you know, it's devastated a lot, right? But there's also been opportunities, right? With COVID. um, And I think especially on the systems level, right? Rethinking how we address the needs of all the community, right? Um, Because we, because I think again, COVID has really shown we're highlighted right there there are um you know we talk about disparities, right, yeah, but the question is is you know why the disparities exist right It's not just because of race, it's not just because someone is this racial classification, they're already you know predestined to have these poor outcomes, right yeah. you're finding like you, you talked about social determinants of health, and I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about about that, but how um like, for example, at examples for that your health department is learning from. Um, what COVID has kind of shown, right? Making making something positive out of you know some of the negatives that have have occurred with COVID.
1: So some of the lessons that we've been learning is, is so important. Kind of as I was mentioned, learn earlier about trusted messengers, it's so important to develop relationships with our healthcare partners, partners in the community, individuals, developing relationships and fostering those is so important. It's going to help us get through our current pandemic, but it's going to help us for the future. And we're also learning that it when we talk about issues of health inequity, we cannot be reactive just because we saw, oh man, there's disparities and inequities in hospitalization and death rates among different races. We can't just be reactive. We need to embed uh, prevention efforts into our very structure. So because of that, because of some of those lessons that we learned, it's important to be very um, uh, proactive and systematic about it instead of being reactive, we, over the course of the pandemic, created an Office of Health Equity. The Office of Health Equity sits at the highest level of our our department, Um, and it's going to be a continuous way to continue to work on some of these issues. And the main focus of the Office of Health Equity is to integrate a health equity lens throughout all of the Department of Health Services for our internal workforce and external initiatives partners, and policies. And the new, we just last month announced the new director of the Office of Health Equity for Department of Health Services, and that's Dr. Michelle Robinson. And she is just absolutely fabulous and amazing. And she um, is hiring a lot of new staff and putting forth her plans and visions. So it's such an honor to work with her. Currently she's the co-chair of the, of the governor's health equity council, and she does a lot of work in um, department of children and families and, and all over the state, she's already doing great work. So we're just so honored that she's
0: going to come to DHS to lead the office of health equity. That's awesome. And I, and I'm hearing, you know, locally, um, here in Maryland, I think similar similar strategies are being implemented, right? Because I think we found mm-hmm. I think there's been an understanding that the old way of doing things, right, I mean, they worked for what they work for, but we need to do more, right? And I think, you know, especially with COVID, you know, um funding is helping I think be able to sort of create those opportunities. But also, um, those lessons learned, like you said, we're really it's really changing systems, right? How we approach and how we engage with um, with our communities, which is which is so important. Yes, yes. So doing great work, doing great work. So you so you talked a little bit about some of that community engagement, right? You know, going to churches and schools. And I wanted to talk a little bit more about you know again some of the updates. You know, at this you know at this time a few weeks ago, um, the FDA CDC um, approved the vaccinations for children five to eleven. And wondering like how that communication is going um, to to parents who probably have lots of questions and even um, their other caregivers and how how that's going to try to, um, again, that's an equity issue as well, right? How do we get younger people to also be vaccinated?
1: Yes, that is a great question. And so it's definitely ongoing conversations, even for parents who have been vaccinated, they're... um, it's, it's different regionally, but there's a significant portion of even parents who are vaccinated of them who are still questioning and deciding about if they're going to get their children vaccinated. And then there's a large portion of them that had their kids first in line. But with that being said, there's still, as you mentioned, uh, a lot of questions about this. But the strategies that we've been taking is even before the approval occurred, um, just over the last several months, we've been beginning to plant seeds and have forums and conversations about this um, and build relationships with schools. A lot of the initial relationships with schools were related to mask mandates and testing protocols. But because we've already been able to establish those relationships, now that the vaccine has been uh, been approved, uh, particularly for ages five through 11, it's very uh, an easy transition to now start to have those conversations. In fact, ne- uh, next week, I'm going to be on a joint call with the Depart- our state Department of Public Instruction and then our Department of Health Services as a joint webinar for, fa- for families and for school officials, just to address many of the concerns that parents have and really um, talk about this in a way that people could feel comfortable making the best decision for their family. So lots of conversations, lots of supporting, and uh, really normalizing getting the vaccine.
0: I think that's so important because it sounds like, you know, the strategy, right, really is, you know, there's a, there's a, it's a consistent strategy, right? So Whatever, whatever community you're engaging with, you're making sure that you have who are the key stakeholders like right? who are the key people that need to be involved in the conversation and communication. And it sounds like it's also like a back and forth conversation, which is which I think is important.
1: Yes. Yes. It's important to have back and forth conversations, not just You know, public health shouldn't just be going around telling people what to do. It definitely should be a conversation, giving people education, but also validating their concerns and building relationships, having conversations, so that everyone can go forth and make the best decision for them.
0: Like I'm, like I'm so excited about. I think this opportunity. Again, I mean, it's not fun to have, um, have COVID, right? But I think there, I think there are opportunities now for people to really understand what public health is doing and how they prevent, right? Because I think for the most part, right? You know, when I was, when I, you know, years ago when I was in public health, you know, the, the saying was, you know, public health is working when you don't even have to hear about it, right? (laughs) Right. But in some, but in some ways, I think that, I think that, that worked to our detriment in a way, right? Because then it's like, well, all right, everything's going fine, but you don't know, you know, you don't see what's going on to make it fine, right? All the people, all the people that are working hard, the health officers, the chief medical officers, right? The nurses, um, multidisciplinary staff that are really working to, you know, prevent disease and protect um, protect the community. And I love the fact now that, you know, we're giving face to, you know, people who are working hard, right? They have families in the community. They're entrenched in the community. They're, you know, yes, they have a stake in, in not only the community, but you know, for themselves, but also the community. And working, working collaboratively, which I think, like, yeah, I, de- I definitely want to say, you know, thank you for all the hard work um, that you're doing.
1: Yes, thank you so much. And one of the reasons why I even got into this role because there were periods of time where I told myself, like, I would never go into public health. I'm not going to do that. I, you know, I'm a doctor in the hospital. (laughs) But then when you start to see in your own life, your own, your own, uh, birth outcomes impacted your own, friends and family getting shot um, due to gu- gun gun or in dying due to gun violence, your own family in poverty or um, a racially profiled or it just inequities in the criminal justice system. When that hits you, your own friends and family and the people that you interact with, then it doesn't become a, a the community in me. It's like, I am the community. I had to come into the field of public health to fight for myself, <laughs> my family, and um, those, those around me that I consider colleagues and extended family. So that's how I got into the field of public health um, to really change in a radical way some of the social determinants of health that are significantly impacting us every single day.
0: I mean, a, f- a few times on the podcast, I have talked about. So, I have you know, social determinants of health have come up. And I was wondering if you could you could explain to listeners a little bit, a little bit more about what you mean by social determinants of health, just so that we're level setting everything.
1: Of course, but, I love that. I love that. So, social determinants of health. There's many different ways that people can define define that. But one of the a broad way that I love is social determinants of health. It means. Um, The things that impact your health that are related to where you work, where you worship, where you play, how much money you make. It's the things that are outside of just your individual choices that impact your length of life and your quality of life. So I'll give another example. Uh, According to County Health health Rankings Model by um, our Population Health Institute here in Wisconsin, their their model shows that about only 20% of health outcomes as it relates to your length of life and quality of life, only about 20% is based on what happens in the hospital and clinics. Now, I spent over 20 years going through medical school, going through tests, out of a lot of money to become a doctor. And when I came and I saw, and I uh, was getting my public health training and I saw that slide, I was just mad at first, like you mean to tell me I spent all these years of my life to be in a hospital in which I thought as a doctor that's the highest level of a way that I can impact people and it's only impacting about twenty percent of health out- of our health outcomes. The other eighty percent is based on your 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 health behaviors but it's also based on your um your social, social and economic factors, your environment. So 80% is based on things that don't even have to do anything with medicines prescribed, diagnostic tests, or things that happen in the hospital and clinic. So if we want to have a true impact, we can't just talk about the COVID vaccine shot. That's it. That's something that is like a medical intervention. That's not what's going to undo many of the inequities that we see. In the same conversation about getting vaccines and everybody want to go get vaccinated and uh, wash your hands. We need to talk about okay, let's take a pause. Why, when I get pulled over, me and my husband get pulled over by the police, are we having panic attacks and we didn't even do anything wrong because we're worried about how we might get treated or are we going to make it out of this encounter? Why, in Wisconsin, for example, does a black man who does not have any felonies on his record um, get less job? Uh, job offers than a white man with a felony on his record. Why is that the case? Why are there inequities in sentencing for two men, one man of color and a white man that both have the same amount of of drugs caught with? Why is there disparate sentencing with that? Um why are we why in Wisconsin there's less than 10% black population but that makes up over 50% of our those who are incarcerated. Why are we seeing such inequities in home ownership rates, in college graduation, and high school graduation rates even? If we're going to talk about one's length of life and quality of life, um, and also overcoming this pandemic in those same conversations, we need to talk about the very things that impact health in radical ways that are outside of traditional medicine. And so that's a long way to say I'll get fired up. I could talk about it all day. But that's what uh, social determinants of health is. What happens when that person goes home from the clinic in the hospital?
0: Yeah yeah yeah. Not and I think I, mean, I think I mean I think that was a great explanation and I think one of the best explanations I've heard about social determinants of health. But it's interesting, you know, when you when you talk about the social determinants of health, right? Um the things that you were also alluding to, right, structural racism. Yes. Right, being really an underpinning and a root root one of the root causes for um the outcomes, right? Poor outcomes for certain communities, um, black communities, Hispanic communities, and Asian and then also too, like if you do a breakdown, right? And and I think we're getting better with that. Or I think we're gonna start to get better with how we disaggregate data, right? So how we break down groups of people and not just as monoliths, right? Oh, all the black people have this data and all the Hispanic people are Asian American or indigenous. Right. You know, it's like where do you know zip codes and Mm -hmm. um where people live and all the other those other things that really are impacting. So I think that so I think that's going to be be important. I mean, maybe people don't care about the numbers, but it does matter, right? The data matters.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. So you're Yeah, one of the hardest things that's so heartbreaking every time I have tons of stories. But when I'm in the newborn nursery, and then we have to, I I tell the family all of my typical things about how to prevent infection, safe sleep for the baby. um, And then they're discharging to a homeless shelter, or might not have anywhere to go. And that's heartbreaking because how are you going to be able to follow all these guidelines and take care of your newborn baby when you're worried about, like, where are we even going to live? Are you going to really make it a priority to show up to that follow up appointment that I want you to go to so we can check the baby's weight and see how feeding is going? When you're going into a crisis situation, it's hard to focus on um, the things that we're telling you in the hospital and clinics, if you don't have your basic needs met, that's heartbreaking every time that happens. But that, again, um, those experiences, you can either use them to get you depressed or burned out or you can use them as fuel and motivation to fight for change. And so that's another example of social determinants of health and, and things that I get to work on as a chief medical officer um, it, within our department. To work on changing some of those very under underlying system structures, rate, systemic racism that impacts our patients.
0: So I so I agree, and I think again it kind of goes back to you know when we started the conversation about why there why there are these disparities, right? Why there are certain groups that have higher rates of COVID, or maybe certain groups that are are not vaccinated um, at a higher rates compared to other groups, right? And again, how that communication, you know, how you take all those factors into com- Into the communication to the communities that you want to outreach to, right? And so, so I guess I want to talk a little bit about that in terms of how you all, how you all think of how does like public health in general think about how you communicate to particular communities? Is it is it again through those um, those trusted um, those trusted communicators, trusted people, trusted stakeholders in the community that help you uh, facilitate that?
1: Yeah, it's a combination of, yes, working alongside trusted messengers and then also just being very um, careful in our language and communication where you don't want to worsen a divide or push people away even more. Right now, we're seeing a lot of stigma, even through the media, with people who have not yet decided to get vaccinated or that's the decision that they made for themselves. There's a lot of shaming or stigma, but we need to make sure that when we're engaging in conversations, as I mentioned, one of the biggest tenets of trust is making sure that person is feels safe emotionally having that conversation. So we, in everything we do, try to um, acknowledge people's feelings, uh, whether it's an underlying uh, feeling of fear or questions that they still have, addressing that in a non-judgmental way, leading with love letting people know that we're all in this together. This is a very scary situation that we're going through. We're all in it together. Here's some information that we have because we want the best for you. What questions can we answer? Where are you at? Let's have a conversation rather than just saying, you didn't get the vaccine. You're the reason for the pandemic and you're going to die. And we're not going to care if you die. Like Those are some messages that I've really seen out there and do you really think that's going to get people to trust you more that's just going to make it even worse so we're doing a lot of relationship building and a lot of making really making sure not to be judgmental in these conversations that we're having
0: so before before we wind down what would what would be your recommendations for um families that are want to learn more about the covid vaccine and also I throw in there why it's also important um, to get the flu vaccine this season?
1: Yes, great question. Um, I'll start with the flu vaccine co- question. Getting the flu vaccine is important because if you get the flu vaccine, it can si- significantly reduce your chances of getting the flu, but also your chances of hospitalization and death from the flu. And the flu imp- even though um, some people say I met- went years and I never got the vaccine, there are people every single year, adults and children, who get very sick and some do die. And this is something that's preventable. So that's why it's very important to get the flu vaccine because it can re- uh, reduce the risk of infection, hospitalization, death. Also, it can prevent missed work and activities as uh, one of the things that people value the most, especially in the midst of this pandemic that we're living in, is getting to spend time with loved ones, getting out and doing some of the things that you couldn't do, especially over this holiday season. And you do not want to be home sick so somewhere um, because you got the flu and miss out on some important events. So if anything, other than physical safe protection uh, for emotional protection as well, so you don't have to miss school, work, or really important, meaningful upcoming events. And as it relates to just general advice for families who are wanting to learn more about the vaccine, I would say wherever you're at, we're so excited that you are just open to this conversation. Just the fact that you're asking questions is good. Um, one of the best people to talk to is your healthcare professional, especially if you have specific questions about like, what, what vaccine should I get? Or if I have this allergy, what should I do? If you have very specific questions or just general questions about vaccines or vaccine safety, please call your healthcare provider. Schedule an appointment. You can even talk to some of their nurses over the phone. Um, you sometimes you can even send them an inbox message, and there's they they can talk with you. You can also connect with your local or your state health departments. Usually you just do a Google search, whatever state you live in, whatever city you live in, your local health departments have a lot of information. And then continue to talk to people around you who you trust and love just to um, talk about your feelings, see what other people did and um, just continue having conversations and know we're all in this together.
0: And then my last question, well, my second to last question. You brought up I think really an important message right when you're when you were talking about the vaccine and communication mm-hmm. and you mentioned you even at the beginning you talked about self-care social emotional well-being and how how important that is as well right because we, I think sometimes when we think about health we forget about our mental health right yes. and I'm going to have you have an opportunity to again kind of just really really speak to that
1: Yes that is so so important Whew. um There have been people who are losing parents, losing spouses, losing children. Um, One death, even though we look a lot at statistics, and a lot of times people get numb to all these statistics, but we have to remember behind every single statistic, this is an actual life. This is actual families and communities being ripped apart, being devastated for just one death. um, I have to see death as my, in my role as a doctor, I've seen it. And it's not, it's something you never want to have to do to go tell a parent that your child has died. Um, my own brother passed away many years ago, not from COVID, but from sudden unexpected death and epilepsy. And to, to the impact that it had on me and even my, particularly my mother, because that was uh, her only son. We're still facing the ripple effects of that today. And it's been over 10 years ago. And that's just one child that died. So imagine all the death that's happening right now across the globe with COVID-19 deaths. It is causing a lot of emotional turmoil and so it's so important to take care of not only our physical health, but our emotional well-being and our spiritual well-being and, and our, our mental health. All of that is so important. We have been seeing um, increases in, in, in some areas and regions, increases in overdose deaths, increases of children feeling very anxious. In some parts of the um, nation, there has been upticks in youth committing or youth who die by suicide. And so we really need to watch out for that, because especially as we get the vaccines rolling out more um, herd immunity and we start to get through the physical impacts of this pandemic, hopefully in the next couple months into the next year, we'll be seeing um, decreases in, in the COVID-19 numbers. But we need to watch out because there is going to be in, there's potential increases in some of these long term emotional and psychological impacts that are going to be. A pandemic of its own. And we really need to be watching out for that. So some things that you could do just in your personal life is practice every single day and in intentional joy. Figure out something once a day that you could do to just make yourself smile, have joy. Also, there's research that is emerging that is showing that when you stay connected to your sense of purpose, that actually reduces inflammation in your body. It changes certain structures in your brain, particularly your amygdala, the center of the brain that deals with fear. It helps you adapt to and overcome negative uh, emotional situations, which the COVID pandemic definitely is. When you are connected to a sense of purpose, there's research studies emerging that it helps increase your length of life and quality of life. So especially now more than ever, Practice joy intentionally every day, but remind yourself every day of your purpose. Do things that bring your life meaning. And those are just a few things that are personally are helping me, but also that I'm sharing with everybody else so that we can all get through this together. I don't want us to just survive the pandemic because we're, who I made it. I'm physically alive, but I'm messed up in the head. No, you want to come out whole and healthy in all areas. So, let me stop there cuz I'll I'll keep talking all day about that one. That one's very very important. Take care of yourself. Yeah, thank
0: you. And again, um thank you for for being vulnerable and sharing your your personal experiences. Um yes. Cuz I think they they teach right? They're opportunities to um to teach us and I thank you I honor, I honor you for that. Um and thank you again for joining us, you know, joining us today to share to share your joy and I mean, I can tell you are passionate about public health and that is so needed during this time. Yes. Um, and I don't know if you wanted to, if there's anything else you wanted to share, like maybe where people can learn more about you or. Oh, yeah, I would
1: say um our website, our DHS website is um, you just go to the Wisconsin Department of Health Services website and um, I will send you the link as well. So maybe you could link it to this podcast and the YouTube videos. There's a lot of great information there about a lot of the things that we're working on. Um, and so that's what I would say. That's a resource that's great to share. We're doing a lot of great things here. And I'm, I'm so honored and excited to have this space to, to chat um, my last thing that I would say is everybody just stay encouraged. This has been so hard, but don't give up. Stay encouraged. Even if, if you're having a rough time, take one day at a time, one hour at a time, one minute at a time, one second at a time. Even if you just have to pause and breathe a couple seconds just to make it to the next minute, don't give up, stay encouraged, and we are going to get through this. And I'll I'll stop there.
0: Thank you so much again, Dr. Zapata. It's, I mean, it's always wonderful to talk with you and to, and to hear your joy. So thank you so much. Thank you. Take care. You too. Thanks for listening. Music and editing for this episode by Manny Simone. We want to grow our community. So please tell a friend about the podcast and let them know that they can subscribe to the podcast wherever they listen to podcasts. Check out our website at whatisblack.co to learn about our work and to sign up for our newsletter to stay up to date about our exciting projects, like our upcoming documentary, Reading in Black, Celebrating Black Children's Literature. Until next time, wishing you peace, wellness, and joy, and a reminder that you're seen and matter.